0: Welcome to Real Everyday People and Eladio Nino Podcast.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the El Nino Podcast. I'm Eladio Nino, and this is Real Everyday People. Ah. <sighs> So, Friday was all the way live. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who came through, who came, supported, and participated in the El Nino Podcast Summer Bash, first annual uh, event for me. Um, I I did it because my birthday is in December, and everything that I do always happens in the wintertime. And I was like, man, I want to be able to celebrate something in the summertime, you know what I'm saying? So, I came up with the idea to have a summer bash, man. It was completely successful, a lot of good people there. A lot of good vendors. Thank you to everybody who, you know, came through, shared their time, um, you know, and uh, everybody made some money. You know what I'm saying? I I mean, Hibachi, me, they, I mean, everybody sold out pretty much. So, you know, that was a blessing, man. And that's really what I'm all about. It's all about supporting, you know, people from the community, small businesses, and just being able to bring people together to have a good time. So thank you to all the artists, everybody who came through. Uh, The dunk tank was awesome. I swear these kids was kicking my ass. I feel like they was trying to drown me. But it was all fun, man. And thank you to everybody who volunteered to also be uh, part of the hood celebrity uh, dunk tank so um today i got a special guest today man good brother um I, I i love sitting with him building with him learning from him uh he's got a great story to tell so uh i hope every all you guys tune in and learn something from him as well but without any further ado this is my man danny harani man what's
0: going on oh, brother my man eladio thank you so much my man it's a pleasure to be here today thank you so much I, listen i'll tell you what i attended your summer bash and it was everything that you say it was it was literally just a spectacular time of family fun and entertainment it was just a great time man i really enjoyed it. the hibachi was excellent i just can't tell you no better it was excellent um so thank you for having me here today i feel honored always a pleasure to sit with you and talk and kind of cut it up man
1: no absolutely man you know what's so sad about it for me and my wife is she was working the booth i was hosting the event i didn't get to try no media tacos i didn't get no hibachi i didn't get no elephant ears i didn't get to try uh, no Mexico cocina food like i didn't get to do nothing bro i didn't get to enjoy the festivities because i was so busy hosting but i could feel the love i could feel the vibes uh you know i was you know it was a meet and greet for me you know what i'm saying but it was dope i loved it you know what i'm saying and uh we we'll do it again next year for sure, man. And I loved having you there, bro. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it was really dope, family friendly. You know, so there was no excuses, you know, for anybody.
0: Although I, I got to say one of the artists' song was a little bit strange, but I, you know, we'll let that one pass. Um, but I did see you go down in the dunk tank. I swear no sooner you sat up that them kids knocked you back down. I, I told somebody, I said, hey, man, check on him, man. He's going to be all right. He, he looked like he's breathing kind of heavy in that tank. So gonna check on my man. Man. He was, he was a little heavy. Me and Marty were worried about you. We are like, wait a minute, man. What's happening with my man? Man, I'm fat as
1: hell. You know no, what I'm saying? You know what I, mean, I was man. like That's a Dunkin' donut. I'll
0: tell you what, man. Um, it was a great time. Uh, it's always a pleasure to go out there to that center i really love what you guys do there in southwest detroit i think it's really amazing it's a asset to that community and you being a part of that is just you know you're a gift for them man and i hope they know that i hope they know what a special person they have in you man
1: thank you brother i I really appreciate that man for sure and uh i I believe they do you know what i'm saying i believe they do and that's why they give me the opportunities to utilize the space you know what i'm saying and help me uh, on my own projects like my podcast, you know. Nice. So, it's dope, man. Um, but yeah, them kids was kicking my ass, man. They couldn't get enough of dunking me, bro. I'm glad I it's only okay. had a little half hour slot. I said, they
0: try to drown me for real. They, you know what it was? They they, they they were getting you for all them times you got to stand on them and uh, you know, giving them all them lectures. <laughs> hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't, they were like, man, we're going to get him back for all them lectures he gave us. So and and then my mom,
1: my though. mom came. She was Throwing her balls, so you know you got to be a heckler a little bit to make it fun. So I'm heckling my mom, talking about the arthritis in her hands. She got mad as hell. Went up there, just got the pushing the button. Yeah. Never, you never heckle mom. Do not ever heckle mom. <laughs> no, nope, because she gonna one up you. That's for sure. Yeah, she got so. down on me, but um. Tell them a little bit about yourself, bro, who you are, How's where you from. are everybody
0: doing? Uh, my name is Danny Harani. I am the Director of Community Development for Team Wellness Center. We are the largest mental health provider in the state. It is a pleasure. We are the preeminent mental health organization here. And uh, I'm going to say the whole state. We're a, basically a Wayne County-based uh, organization. I'm also a board member for the National Sheriff's Association um, Ignite program. Ignite is a program within the county jails that is a reentry program. And I'm on the national board, which is kind of ironic because you think about it, you know, two years ago, I was sitting in federal prison serving a life sentence. Crazy. Uh, a life sentence in federal prison, which, you know, life in the feds is that, man, they put you in a box and they mail you home to your family. There is no parole. There's none of that. You know, you do 20s life. There's mm-hmm. none of that. I think there's a misconception on what life means in, in, mm-hmm. in the federal or in the state system. Um, life is life, man. You know, they, they put you in a box. And they mail you home. Um, thankfully for me. About two, two and a half years ago, I was granted compassionate release uh, by my judge, Honorable Bernard Friedman. Uh, judge Friedman's an amazing guy. Uh, 2012, Judge Friedman uh, became part of a program that I created in federal prison. Uh, my, my my prosecutor is uh, the Honorable Judge Berg. Uh, judge Berg also, he's a judge now, federal judge, but he was my original prosecutor. He wrote a letter and uh, asked that I be released. Wow. So that was a a, a blessing for me um they I, I was granted compassionate release for due to all the programming and other items that i you know I completed while I was in prison um it was you know I went to jail as a teenager you know uh came out to a whole different world
1: it's like you rose from the dead bro i you did know, I, I'm you know I, not I like, to say I, that you was dead
0: I like to say i'm the phoenix, yeah you know, the right rose dead. from the ashes yes you know, yes,
1: um, I agree, yeah, definitely man um I mean man, wow, so you go from in your mind you know. You did how long?
0: 27 years.
1: 27 years. That's 30 to me. And a half, yeah. That's 30. That's a good 30
0: ball right there. I never say 30 because then I'll age myself more than I already (laughs) am. And we don't want to do that.
1: But to have life, you're in there for 27 years. Like, you know, where do you get the motivation to not give up? To keep fighting and say, you know what? This ain't it for me. Because a lot of people, they fold up shop. That's it. I got life. It's over
0: with. I'm going to live until I die. You know what I'm saying? You know, this is the thing. I think people pe- people who are sentenced to life in prison, they can take two paths. You know, um, some give up hope and, you know, they, they go, man. They, they do some horrible things in prison or sometimes harm themselves or others. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, you know, I, I never accepted that I had life. I just never did. I don't know why. I don't know if it's an overwhelming hope or something. I don't know, something inside me. But I never thought, like, in my mind, I never, ever, ever believed that I would die in prison, man. Because I knew I hadn't done nothing. And I knew that God would um, eventually uh, set me free. And that he had an ultimate plan. And, uh, you know, looking back on my life, I know that everything I've ever done in my life has been God's plan.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, bro. I mean... I could have been doing natural life, you know. I That's my my partner, he's still in there with the natural life bid plus a hundred years on top to put the nail in the coffin, you know what I mean? And um, you know, it's just funny be it's it's not funny, but it it's just, you know, I think about my case. I think about the people I was involved with on the case. Um my brother Mike Mike Banks, you know, I hope he makes it home one day. They gave him natural life plus a hundred years. Uh my brother Pat Bates, he came home. They just killed him a year and a half ago. Um, and then you got the guy who told on everybody he's living in the shadows, you know what I'm saying? And then you got me. You know what I'm saying? I got a second chance. I took full advantage of it. You know, like I say, you never know what you got until you ain't got it no more. I prepared myself to come home. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I didn't want. And I just really been... Diligent. I made a commitment to myself, building a relationship with God, getting to learn more about who I am, what I'm built for and what my purpose was and um, and then finding purpose behind the suffering. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't all for nothing. And and I've been home successfully for four years and um, I've built bridges with people like you, you know, thanks to my brother, Marty, man, for linking us up, you know what I mean? And, um, and I love it. And me and you have already been in, in the same places more than one time, doing the work, giving back, redeeming ourselves and uh, doing it better than anybody else or just as good, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, I think, listen, so I love the work you do. Um, you know, I- it's been a pleasure connecting with you and, you know, collaborating with you and your organization. Uh, the work you do for a Ceasefire and for it's just amazing work that you guys do. Um, you know, for me, it's all about removing the barriers for those coming home. Um, we, we were granted our second chance. And I think the biggest failure for me is to see people return to prison. And so, but I know it's not as easy. It, it was easier for me. I have a great family. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family is the greatest blessing of my life. And when you ask me, how was it that you, you know, did so well in prison? Because I had an amazing family. I could call my, you know, my brothers or my sister, my parents, and that support was always there. Um, I never wanted for nothing. They would do anything. And they fought for me for every day, for every day I was in there. They were fighting for me until the day I was released, wow. you know? Um, and, and I was surrounded by good people. You know, we talk about Marty. Marty was, was, was my cellmate. Now he's out here. He's my buddy. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. When I first came home, um, a friend of mine that I know my whole life, you know, he, he seen me talking to some of the guys I knew from inside and he said to me, Hey, uh, let me ask you a question, man. We were driving and I said, what's up? He said, you know, why do you still, you know, talk to all them people from inside? Like, why don't you just leave that part of your life behind? You're out now. You're starting new. And, uh, I looked at him and I told him, I was like, you know, listen, man, those guys are my brothers, man. Like I've known them longer than you. <laughs> I was in jail for 27 and a half years. In prison, I was only out I went to jail at 18, 19 years old. So I was I knew them longer than you. So for me, the 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 solid men and not, not everybody you meet in prison mm-hmm. is a good person. No, no. Absolutely. But the true brothers. The people who <laughs> stand by you through thick and thin and mm-hmm. and people who are have come from that life you know what that means mm-hmm. you know those are your true brothers they've been in the fire with you and they've stood tall and so i've always appreciated them and they know they can call on me and i can call on them at any time mm-hmm. and so you know um now seeing them out here succeeding successful um seeing you uh, how much time did you do a lot of you
1: i did 17 years
0: so 17 years so when you came out what was your biggest hurdle
1: My biggest hurdle was um, really just finding my place, you know, Um, you know, because when you transition back into society, it takes time. You go through a mental transition, an emotional transition, a spiritual transition, a physical transition, and just wanting to find your place, um, having all that energy. You know, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable, you know. Um, I came home, I was 40 years old, but I still felt like I was 22 years old. Like when I went to prison, it was like my life was on hold. And when I got out 17 years later, I still had a very youthful spirit, you know what I mean? But I was just committed to building a healthy life for myself and building on a solid foundation, keeping good people around me, people who were conducive to my well-being, people who cared about me, you know? but i came out with that mentality i pre-prepared myself prior to getting out i know a lot of guys have said well when i get home i'll start working on things and I'm like brother if you can't work on things now and in here you definitely ain't gonna be able to do it out there because the world is full of temptations you know when you're talking about women drugs alcohol money you know all that type of stuff you know if you're not disciplined and you're not focused and make a personal commitment to yourself and have a personal connection with God I feel like you're setting yourself up for failure you know
0: yeah I, I think that, you know so in prison they released me because of all the classes I taught in prison and the programming that I did. I created 12 different reentry classes. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I created a cognitive behavior class called Three Steps to Success. Uh, it was a 15 week class. And um, I used to tell guys all the time, man, you got to start programming today like you're going home tomorrow, even if you got a life sentence, because you just don't know what tomorrow holds. Um, and so that was important for me going in, getting my degree from Indiana State University. I'm very proud of it. You know, um, those are the things that, that, that allowed me. To prepare myself for today people ask me all the time like man how did you get out you were out you've been out two and a half years now you're a director for this company and all that but i literally just came home and hit the ground running because i already felt like i was behind and i wanted to catch up um i think but it, what's important is and i always try to tell guys that are coming home there are certain obstacles you're going to hit mm-hmm. and it's very important that you know that when you hit those obstacles it's not just you it's not just you Mm -hmm. It's everybody who's done an extensive amount of time, 10 years or more, you're going to have the same, um, you know, emotional state you're going to come home to when you're driving in the car, you're going to hold on a little tighter in the beginning
1: bro i kept falling asleep <laughs> every you know, time
0: i jumped in a car i fell
1: asleep like a baby bro i swear people yeah, are like are yeah. you on drugs i'm like no bro i'm just not used to being
0: in a vehicle you know he, he, no man i remember the first time i drove with my brother you know he had a truck my brother like drive big pickups and uh, i just remember grabbing the, like i felt like he was gonna flip the car i wasn't sure <laughs> so um it wasn't until there was a friend of mine Um, he, he, he came home and would not leave the house. And his sister called me. She's like, Hey, this guy won't leave the house. Like, what do we do? And he, I'm talking six months, eight months after he'd been home. Wow. So he barely went out of the house. So I called him. I was like, listen, we're driving up to Flint to see some other friends from inside. They're having a barbecue. I'm going to pick you up and we're all going to go up there. And I remember driving down, you know, like going to 75 North and he just, you know, I'm, you know, switching lanes and he's holding on really tight. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, hey, he's like, oh, you're going a little fast. I said, bro, I'm doing 70. That's the speed limit now. <laughs> when we left, yes, it was 55, but it's 70 now. I'm not mm. I don't speed. I'm not in a rush to go anywhere, man. Mm. Last time I was in a rush to go anywhere, I ended up with life in federal prison. So now I'm not in a rush to go nowhere. Lesson so, learned. Yeah, but that's the important thing is you have to understand it's not you because if you don't know that it's not just you, you might think something's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And that's when people start to backslide. And so that's my, one of my concerns that I try to address with people.
1: You know, a lot of people um, didn't really know what to expect. You know, they thought that they were getting the old Eladio. They knew, uh, you know, chaos. That was my street name. K A O S chaos. So, you know, people didn't know was chaos coming home. Like what's Eladio on where, you know, what's he up to, you know, even my own family, you know, They're like, this guy spent damn near 20 years in prison. Like, you know, I noticed they're watching me, my behavior, you know, how I speak, how I interact with people, things like that, because they're like, you know, he's been in a place that clearly impacts your, you know, your behavior, your your mental mental state, you know, all that type of stuff. And, um, you know, but my family never, they were relentless with, you know, showing me love and support. And like you, bro, you know, I was, I was blessed to have that, you know, and, um, I ended up catching a dope case when I was in prison And I caught it when I only had like Two years left bro And that's when I realized that I had more work to do Because I kept finding excuses to keep Selling drugs you know what I mean And you know it was because I always put Myself in a leadership position And me being a leader I felt like it was My responsibility to feed my people You know so you know we got a lot of brothers Who don't have resources who don't have Family some people burnt bridges We had a lot of people whose family were in Mexico Or they were poor and came from poverty as well Mm -hmm. so you know i was always you know um you know making sure that we had a way to eat you know and um you know i always put myself in the fire for the sake of others and i end up catching a case for selling heroin in prison and you know got prosecuted got more time but but at the end of the day i feel like i needed that you know that was was, your wake-up call yes it was a it was it that that incident right there really, really uh, pushed me to becoming a critical thinker. You know what I'm saying? Because if I was in there making decisions like that, you know what I'm saying? Then what was I gonna do when I come home? So I had to learn how to draw boundaries. I like you, I became a facilitator and I facil- facilitated life skills curriculum in there about you know anger management, parenting, critical thinking, effective communication, all that type of stuff. And, um, you know, it's one thing that I'm sitting here uh, having the knowledge. You know how they say you know better, but don't show better you know, but I realized that I had more work to do and that it's dangerous when you straddle the fence. You know, I had every good intention to do what's right, but I'm justifying what I'm doing by saying, you know what, my people got to eat too. So I say, you know what, in order for me to liberate myself from all of that, I'm going to have to retire my flag. I'm going to have to step down. I got to be a leader for myself. I got to be a leader for my family, you know, and, um, you know, they stood by me and, and it was like, I've given so much to the streets, to the gang, to the flag, to the hood, you know what I mean? And the more that I gave them, the less that my family received from me, you know? And I loved loved the streets. I loved my flag and my hood sometimes more than you even love yourself, you know? So finding an identity, finding purpose in the suffering that I endured and knowing that um, I'm here for a reason. You know, uh, really motivates me every day to just want to do good, you know, and be righteous in everything yeah. that I do.
0: I, I think what's important is um, I think some people lose they, they lose focus of what's important uh, for myself. I think when people when I was coming home, people very much did not know what Danny was coming. home. They were, you know, a little maybe a little hesitant, concerned, like, well, who, who's the guy coming home? Um, but I came home with such positivity and energy And I don't really get mad at all And I don't, I, I don't want to say I don't have bad days But they're few and far in between Because every time I'm having a bad day I think about my friends that are inside still That I'm fighting to get out And you know my they're, 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 They wish they had my worst day You know they wish That their biggest problem was That somebody lied to them Or that, that somebody did something out here That wasn't You know out here there's a is that loyalty is lacking um, Honor Integrity is lacking it's a different environment out here You know in, in prison there's consequences For every action there's an equal And very um, opportune reaction mm-hmm. So out here there's not that you know people cut You in line they'll bump you they'll keep walking They're just little stuff stuff that you never really would, Like don't think about out here But inside would it calls mischief and chaos um, And just people Their word is not as in it's important. You know, in prison, all you have is your word. Yes, absolutely. That's all you have. You are nothing but your word. They don't they care, don't care who how much shy. money you have. They don't give a damn who you were. You could be a, the, one of the biggest gang leaders in the world, but if your word ain't shit, they don't care about you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all you have. So for me, I was blessed that my word was gold. I could go anywhere. Um, you know, and, and that I made sure I protected that. You must protect your integrity at all costs. Um, it's very important. You have to stand behind whatever you say. And um, that's important. And I think guys coming out here, sometimes, you know, they get frustrated. It's not easy. You know, I left. I came home. My friends were picking me up in Rolls Royces. Rolls Royces. Mm -hmm. I remember my friend calling me. He was like, man, please let me take you out. Um, You know, when I first came home, I was granted compassion release. The government had 30 days to appeal. So I really didn't even want to go anywhere and to wait and see what happens with this appeal. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when, when that was said and done, my friend was like, come on, man. We all want to take you out to dinner. And he came, he's like, I'm picking up my double R. I don't know what a double R is. <laughs> Next thing I know, he's he pulling in the driveway. It's a damn black Rolls Royce. I'm like, man, is this a Rolls Royce? Yeah. I, I've been gone a long time. You guys are driving Rolls Royces? But, you know, <laughs> they had come so far. So <laughs> when you leave here as somebody, and then you come home kind of starting all over, you're older, some guys lose focus, man. And, uh, you know, I've had friends, man, unfortunately, man, that tried to speed up the process of catching up and ended up either back in prison or ended up dead.
1: So one of the things that I realize that is important for people to distinguish is the difference between feeding the flesh and feeding the spirit, you know, and I know a lot of times when you come home, people get a lot of people get frustrated because they're so far behind in things. You know what I'm saying? So they feel Um, we eat with our eyes, you know. Uh, we want people to recognize us, see us. Uh, we feel like the clothes we wear and the things that we have represent our self value, you know, and um and I think that that deters a lot of guys from making a positive commitment to themselves and. um. And then they start making irrational decisions, being around wrong people because they want to impress people. They want to impress people because they want to feed the flesh. But when you have a relationship with the higher power, you know what I'm saying? and You feel driven by purpose. You know when you're doing right and when you're doing wrong, you know. So for me, the wealth and the richness of who I am and, and the work that I do has to come from inside. You know, I tell people all the side all the time. You could pull up in a twenty twenty three Cadillac Escalade looking sharp, but if it ain't no gas in that tank, you ain't gonna go nowhere. You know what I'm saying? So we can look good and everything, but you know what? It's that spirit, it's that gas that keeps me going. You know? Yeah,
0: I I think um, you know, looking at it from that from from that perspective, you got to weigh what's important to you in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, where do you want to go in life, and what do you want to do? And I think some people lose focus of that. Um, But this is the thing I think is very important that anybody who's watching this podcast should learn. And anybody who's been in prison, especially federal prison, especially federal prison, needs to know this. The dope game is dead. Everybody is a snitch. Everybody is telling. I'm telling you right now. If you haven't learned nothing else, if I didn't learn nothing else from going to federal prison, it's that everybody's a rat. They're going to tell. There's people right now that I know. That walk around like they're straight dudes. And I'm telling you, I got their paperwork. It's not pretty. These guys are just, it is what it is. You have to understand that concept that people are going to tell on you. If you're in the drug game, you're going to get told on. There's only two ways that the drug game ends. You're either going to die, get killed, or you're going to end up in prison. There's no if, and, or bets. This is not a movie movie. We're not talking about some something where you ride off into the sunset. Nobody's riding off in the sunset. In the not, Carly, not even Carlito Brigante got yeah, to do nobody's that. Nobody's riding off into the sunset. And that's important for all the young kids to figure. Don't listen. Listen, I got friends that are rappers, very um, high profile. And they'll be the first ones to tell you, man, it's just music. It's just music. Don't believe the hype. Um, my brother is an oral surgeon. He's more successful than any person I've ever met. Great kid, uh, spectacular. He put in the hard work, and now he reaps the rewards. And that's what you got to put the work in. If you put the work in, you'll get the rewards. And you know what's crazy is growing up, it was
1: always the little people telling on the big people. And now I come to realize that the big people are oh, telling on. 100%. You know what I'm saying? That's how the, the feds work, though.
0: See, the feds got smart. They, they, they don't do like, you know, let me catch the little guy and work my way up the ladder. They just grab the top guy and let him tell all the way down.
1: And see that's that's that was one of the reasons why i had to step back from everything because i wanted to be fair and impartial i wanted to make independent decisions to be able to socialize and not have to discriminate or hold grudges against anybody because as long as i'm carrying my flag that means i got to abide by a certain code of ethics and rules that i was raised with you know what i'm saying But if I'm going to be able to move forward and build bridges and be able to network and not discriminate or judge anybody for their decisions, you know what I'm saying? I had to fall back from it. You know what I'm saying? I love my people. I love my hood and everything that I come from. But right now it comes down to self-preservation. And it's about me being able to be successful and give myself the life that I deserve and to be able to be the asset that I am to everybody
0: unconditionally, you know? Yeah, I think that's important. Um, for me now, my focus is just on reforming the system. Um, people say the criminal justice system is broken, and, and that's a big fallacy. The criminal justice system is not broken. The criminal justice system works exactly how it was created. It was created to incarcerate minorities, lower-income individuals, and others. Um, it was created to punish those who are mentally ill. Instead of getting them treatment, they put them in prison. Um This is how the system, what's broken is the criminal justice reform movement. That's what's broken because you have individuals in charge of these movements that have never done a day in prison. And you cannot, people come to me all the time and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this, this, because I'm very knowledgeable on the the various subjects. And the first thing I'm going to ask him is how many justice-involved individuals are in your organization working in the top echelon? I'm not talking about the bottom. I'm talking who's at the top of your organization that's justice-involved, that has personal life experiences, because this is not something that you can educate. This is not something you can go to college for and learn. (laughs) Criminal justice reform is led by those who have been justice-involved. They know, we know what's wrong with the system, and we are the only ones that can fix it. And that's what's important for me. So I know how the criminal justice, I, people tell me, I tell them the system's not broken. It's operating just how it's supposed to work. That's how they designed it. They designed it to incarcerate minorities, Hispanics, African-Americans, uh, low-income individuals. Mm-hmm. They designed it to over, over-incarcerate them. Look, I'm not one of them guys that says let everybody out. There are some people that need to be in prison. They better not drive down my street. They better not come near my nieces and nephews or any of them. Mm-hmm. They need to be there. They are not safe for society to function. There's something wrong with them. You know um, they said uh, what's old oh boy that
1: was the uh the sexual predator MSU something Nasser Yeah yeah he they, got stabbed they today. said they just yeah. butchered him in the feds So
0: in the feds they hunt that that group of individuals they yeah. are if you're in a higher security level mm-hmm. um they th- you know there's a echelon there's a stratosphere even in prison um, Absolutely. there's a social stratosphere and those individuals are at the bottom of that mm-hmm. social stratosphere very much disliked Um, So even there, there's a hierarchy and they fall at the bottom end of that hierarchy. I mean,
1: that's who everybody eats off of, you know. So me personally, I was in conflict with that because uh, but, you know, as a leader, I had to take, you know, other things into consideration, the needs of the people. But like, uh, you know, when brothers would come to me like, hey, bro, you know, let's let's um, you know, let's slide, bro. The 50 to 100 dollar list, every store, He got to come up with this, this, that and the other. And, you know, coming from somebody, bro, you know, who was sexually abused as a little boy, you know, um, to come to prison and then live in an environment where you got sexual predators, you know what I mean? And um, pedophiles and stuff. And so I felt like, you know, I, I would hate if you know, to know that this person can come to prison and live luxurious because he has money, you know what I'm saying? He can buy his way through because he has money. So for me, I took it personal and I wanted blood. They couldn't be on the compound. I didn't care. You know, I could only govern my own people. So if you were Latino or you were, you know, from our community or our neighborhood, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I had a zero tolerance for that. But the people were like, man, you running off all the money, bro. Like every everybody like they didn't even unpack their bags. By the time they hit the compound, it was a wrap already. Yeah. But guys are like, man, you chasing off the money. Like we could be, you know, taxing them, bro. You know what I'm saying? And um and uh I, I just I just I I I struggled with it, but as a leader, I had to make a mindful, you know, uh be mindful of their needs. So I said, okay, we can start, you know, taxing their ass and making them pay, you know? But I still, I, it was hard for me to live with because I just felt like they needed to get that ass toe yes. up every chance they get, I, you know? I, I,
0: you know, I don't want to even touch that subject. I'll just say this. All money isn't good money. I'll just say that. Mm. All money is not good I, money. I agree. Um, I agree. But, you know, um, I, think, I think for me today, talking to you, because I know your work, I, wanna, I want us to focus on what we can do. What do you think the difficulties lie for those coming home and how can we improve upon them what needs to change from your perspective from what you've done what needs to change in to improve the chances of those coming home so I'm a board member for the National Sheriff Association's Ignite program Ignite is a re-entry program that started in Flint and Genesee County it was started by Sheriff Swanson Um, it reduced the violence in the jail by like 96 percent it reduced staff on inmate uh, interactions, negative interactions by like 93%. Um, guys are coming out being more successful, but more importantly, guys are going to prison having obtained a GED, GED or working their way towards GED, getting life skills and other things, and going to prison with the intent to program rather than intent to fight. And that's important for me because I've seen guys who've gotten to the penitentiary, and they've either been very angry or very you know, pro-program, and those are two different people. And so I'm proud to be a board member, especially on a national level, uh, for that program. Absolutely. So I like that. I always like to say the numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. So we know if you obtain an associate's degree while you're incarcerated, your re- recidivism rate drops from 60% to 10%. Mm-hmm. If you obtain a bachelor's, it goes to 5.6%. If you obtain a master's while you're incarcerated, you have a 0% recidivism rate, the rate of return for prison hmm. So I think focusing on increasing education within the prisons is important. That's an important aspect we need to focus on and push the politicians on. Hey, how can we focus it? And also on a state level, we need to start laying the groundwork. And I do a lot of work with a lot of politicians, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I talk to them all the time um, on that. I just had a conversation yesterday um, with some senators on laying the groundwork for guys coming home, taking away things like, you know, if you have traffic violations. Um, from five, ten years ago. No guy should come home and still have a traffic ticket from ten years ago holding him back from getting his license. If you had a, you know, driving without a license ten years ago, that should not stop you today from obtaining a license because I need to employ the people coming home from prison because if we don't employ them, they're going to eventually return to something to feed themselves, like you just said. Absolutely. So we have to remove these, these, these minor barriers, and they're not partisan barriers. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. I shouldn't have to say, well, only the Democrats support it or only the Republicans. This is a human rights issue. Mm-hmm. This is a human rights issue. It's a community issue. All these people are coming home to your community. Do you want c- people to come home who are successful and assist them in their reintegration of the community? Or are you, Or do you want them to come home angry and put every barrier you can to stop them? Um, I'm very proud of, about a month ago, uh, I testified before the uh, Dearborn Charter Commission. Uh, I had, back in December, I didn't realize, and I realized Dearborn had a very strict, nobody who was just as involved could run for office in Dearborn. It was more strict than the state or federal level. You could literally be president of the United States, but you could not be a city clerk in Dearborn. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I had wrote them a letter. I had asked them to change the charter. There's a new charter being written in Dearborn. Mm-hmm. And I asked them to change the charter. I followed back up about three months later. Finally, I reached back out through some friends that knew the charter commission uh, chairman. Uh, he invited me to his office. We sat down, we had a robust discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very positive discussion. He asked me, well, what about if a guy's, uh, uh was convict- convicted of fraud? Would you want him on city council? I told him, listen, that's really not your place to say because if I'm running against Eladio and Eladio was convicted of fraud, then I would just tell the citizens of Dearborn, Eladio is a crook. And if they decide to elect Eladio, then that must mean that the city of Dearborn, the residents, want a crook. <laughs> that's not... You understand? That's mm-hmm. that's for them to make that decision. That's not for you to hinder, because I believe that people have a right to once again be a part of their community. Absolutely. And so um, I went there and, I, and I, I gave testimony before them. I told them about myself and why it was important to me. And, you know, they voted nine zero wow. um, nine zero to change the charter to fall in line with state law. The state law only prohibits those who have been convicted while in office of violating public trust for 20 years. So if you're like, they call it the Kwame law, basically. (laughs) Um, If you've been in office and you were convicted of violating public trust, then you can't run for 20 years for anything.
1: Wow. That's how the
0: Michigan law is.
1: Okay. And I think
0: that's fair and just. Because if you've already been in office and you're a crook, well, buddy, you've lost your right to be it, you know. So
1: So one of the things that I'm working on right now with the Urban Research Group is... um is implicating as part of the intake procedure because once you leave your respective county, you go to Jackson yeah. where you go do intake. They do evaluations on you know mental health education, all that type of stuff. But I think one of the big things that have become barriers for guys just because they don't have the information and the MDOC is not providing the information is child support. You know, guys are going into prison for 10, 15, 20 years and they never write a letter to the friend of the court to stop the, um, you know, stop being, uh, charged, you know, for, for child support. So then they get out 15, 20 years later and they owe forty, fifty thousand $50,000 and, um, and then they come home and they're trying to get a job. And, you know, you got jobs that are paying peanuts, especially if you're a felon. So how are you supposed to come home and you got all this debt on you? You're trying to pay that. You don't even have enough money to make a living for yourself. When you're trying to get on your feet, you're trying to get an apartment. That's another barrier, you know, being a felon, um, you know, um, trying to get a vehicle, trying to get a job like, you know, it's, it's like you're constantly being crucified over and over for your past. So what I'm trying to do is incorporate and um, the, the when you go through quarantine that they just ask the question, do you have child support That, And if you do give you the information to your respective friend of the court in your county so that they can, uh, you know, write, write, the write the court and say them, hey, can you please stop, you know, charging me for my child support and send them a proof of incarceration to say, hey, I'm going to be locked up until 2040. You know what I'm saying? So there's no sense in that. And then not only that, see, I, I got blessed because when I went to prison, I, I always grew up around a lot of. Older people, you know what I mean, and it was the same way when I went to prison. I always, uh, you know, always uh, uh, hung around older men, and they asked me, "Yo, child support debt?" So they gave me the game. He was like, "Here, here's the form." He was a legal beagle. Here's the form. Fill this out. Tell them, you know, that you're incarcerated. Send them proof of incarceration. They'll stop charging you. And then prior to me getting out, they were like, "Hey, why don't you write the friend of the court and ask them to forgive your debt?" And they did. They forgave my debt. Also, they um, when I got my paperwork back, it showed that I had two warrants one in Wyandotte one in River Rouge for some weed charges you know I wrote them and they automatically they forgave it and said don't worry about it it's done so I came home to a clean slate but it's because I had the information because somebody took time to educate me but I think that this information should be giving to everybody you know what I'm saying to get that same type of opportunity and get that fresh start and then, and then another thing is the resources they gave me a whole pamphlet of resources for me to utilize when I got home but half of the resources and information that I had was outdated didn't exist some of the phone numbers didn't exist and I'm like man you know my family helped me get through the 17 year bid I don't want to come home and be a burden to them but I did want to take full advantage of every opportunity that was there for me to be able to you know prosper a little bit I mean I couldn't even get bus tickets bro like nothing you know what I'm saying I didn't get any help other than from my family and then me just staying committed and and got me a job you know I went to the DHDC I shared my story and uh they gave me a second chance you know what i'm saying like who's in a hurry to, ch- to to hire somebody to to um to mentor kids who just turned served 17 years for a murder case you know what i mean so
0: i think first off you're probably the best person to mentor those kids um because you're not only just a street cred- credibility but once again you have the personal experience that, that can't be taught. I mean, I, if I hire a, somebody with a bachelor's degree to go in and mentor some kids who doesn't know anything about the streets, those kids, they're going to see right through him. Um, you know, we treat, at my company, I created a partnership with the federal probation um, to treat returning citizens who have mental health or SUD concerns. And, um, uh, you know, I picked the therapist personally because... There's only, you know, the guys that are coming home can see through. You got to have a certain swag to talk to guys coming home from prison. You have to have a certain connection, a certain, you know, you got to be authentic in a certain way. You just can't be, you know, um, in a certain aspect uh, too clinical. They're not Mm going to like that. They're going to associate you with a prison psychologist, and it's going to be a huge failure um but it's ironic that you talk about the child support issue because before i came on this show like everything else i do in my life i actually said let me do a little research cuz i don't know what is the what is the el nino podcast and so i watched our friend up here who talked about his child support issues yes. and the 64,000 that he owed so the conversation i had yesterday with the politicians about laying the groundwork that was part of the conversation part of that conversation was we need to remove that barrier to to this you know this child support issue but i don't really think guys should have to Write a letter and stuff Listen Everybody that's in prison There is a long list of You know I can look up Anybody in state prison right now and know they're there They can Mm -hmm. run a roster Of every single person (laughs) So the courts The friend of the court Who have you know if These individuals They should run that roster Against the names they have And if they see They're incarcerated They need to immediately Suspend their payments Mm -hmm. Um, Guys should not come home Again these are just These are unrealistic expectations A guy who's done 20 years Like the individual That was on your show and came home, and now you tell him, "Hey, you owe me sixty, seventy thousand dollars," and then you. But I want you to succeed, and mm-hmm. I want to pay you a job that pays fifteen dollars an hour. Buddy, that's good, that, that's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. And then when he fails, we blame him rather than the system. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem, I think, with the MDOC and the federal system is too many young men are coming home, uneducated, not trained. Let me tell you something. If the the MDOC was to train every individual in the MDOC right now to be a plumber or an electrician, they're going to make more money than me and you. Me and you. And let me tell you, I know that because, you know, I've had to hire plumbers and electricians to do work for me. And, buddy, they are not cheap. (laughs) They are not cheap. I I had an electrician do some work in a house the other day. I swear he might have been there an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I got a bill for $600. I'm like, $600? I want your job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, let me get your job
1: yeah you definitely. know but
0: that's literally um the, the, the they have to send them home with some type of training mm-hmm. you can't keep sending guys home with nothing no education and you don't have to send them home as with a doctor degree i'm not telling you to send them to college so that they become professors college isn't for everybody mm-hmm. um but send them home with a skill i don't care if it's cutting hair
1: you, you know what's crazy danny is when i was in a joint I knew more lifers that were taking full advantage of college courses than anybody, even than the guys that only had five years left or two years left like you would think that they would pre-prepare and take full advantage of every opportunity to get an education and give themselves the best shot that they could when they got home but it was a lot of the lifers that were like you know they were they were investing their own personal money and into the books and the curriculums and and the classes and their family and i'm like damn bro i was like i asked one of my brothers i was like man why why do you why do you pursue um you know education and he's like if that door ever opens for me i'll be ready you know what i'm saying you know i'll tell you what
0: so for myself um i remember i was taking my when i had when i had life and i started my college program um you know some of the other lifers were like man what are you doing man you're like what are you doing you got life you know and i used to tell them like i would tell you hey do you know tomorrow's lottery number because i could use a good lawyer (laughs) do you know tomorrow's lottery no okay so you don't know what tomorrow holds Mm -hmm. you don't know what tomorrow holds um and so again for myself, I always loved educating myself. I love to read. All I did in prison was read. I studied law. Um, the motion was 49 pages. I wrote a 49-page motion that got me out of prison. Wow. Um, I wrote motions throughout the, my incarceration. I actually filed a motion and lost it one month before I won this motion. It was, we were locked down during COVID. I remember them coming to my cell and handing me my legal you know, thing, and it was a 2241 motion I had filed, and it was denied. And I sat there in my cell and every time you get denied, you kind of get a little bit down, you know, like, Damn. absolutely. Cause I thought for sure I was going to win that motion, but um, God intended for me not to win that one. He had a different plan for me and it was to win this one. Um, so, you know, when I filed that motion, I, I wrote the motion, I sent it to my attorney. He, uh, you know, he reformatted a little bit in his way. Um, and then he's the most spectacular attorney there is uh, Steve Fishman. Uh, Steve, you know, we had oral arguments, And uh, I can remember I was sitting in a cell smaller than this space here. I was not in a a room. Um, It was during COVID, so there was no going back to court. It was just a Zoom. And, you know, I remember being on the Zoom, and I was on the phone, and they were all there, and they were talking, and they had the oral arguments. And Steve just, you know, I mean, he just hit a home run out of the park. Just, you know, and, um, uh, you know, the judge right there on the spot. You know, usually the judges say, I'm going to take it under advisement. And uh, that judge said, hey, I'm ready to rule right now. And I was like, oh, man, what's going to happen right now? And he said, before you know, before I, before I give my reasons, I'm just going to say right now, this motion is going to be granted. And, man, I just about <laughs> fell out of my chair, man. I didn't know what to do, man. I just didn't know. What, I literally walked into a room with a life sentence and walked out without, with immediate release. Um, wow. And uh, it was just the most. And every time that I get upset, and there's times out here that will upset you, But every time that I'm really upset, I think about that moment and I think about how I felt and I think about the first phone call I made was to my sister. My sister's the most amazing person ever. And I called my sister and she answered the phone and and she was almost like, hey, and she was walking, saying this prayer, you know, Islamic prayer, they say. And she was saying it and she was walking and uh, I called her, you know, and you're not supposed to call, you know, like you're not supposed to dial the phone yourself. So in 27 years, I never got, I never received no incident reports. I just stayed out of trouble. Wow. So that was one of the reasons the Judge granted. He said, that's a spectacular by itself. Mm-hmm. That's an extraordinary and compelling reason. Because um, that's what I was granted under extraordinary and compelling reasons. Um, and um, I, I, when I hung up the phone, I said, I'm about to break the rules now. And I picked it up and I called her. Um, <laughs> and uh, And she answered the phone and I was like, it's over. She's like, what? What do you mean? I said, it's over. What's over the hearing? I said, no, it's over. I'm done. I'm coming home. And you know, what she told me, "Don't play with me." I told her, "Man, I'm not, I would never play with you about that." You know, um, and it was just an amazing thing, you know, for me. I bet um, she to be was able to so share that emotional,
1: thing. bro. I bet you yeah, everybody
0: saying. was, man. You know, it's th- I still sometimes get. You know, I never cried. I'm shit. I'm about to cry. I'm, I'm never like, cried. fuck, man, I've damn, bro, cried. that's the real shit. I man. just never. I, I it's didn't about damn time when they gave me life. I didn't cry. And when they let me out, I didn't cry. Um, but I've always felt an overwhelming joy mm-hmm. and it touches my heart, man, to remember that moment. So whenever I do get upset or I have a bad day or things don't go just like I like, which are sometimes, you know, you get frustrated out here It's frustration, you going to deal with different, whether it's work or your personal life, you're going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. I like to focus on the good things, you know? Um, and that's Absolutely. what I I like to do. And so, you know,
1: I just, um, You know, I I just think that that's uh, truly amazing. And and not only that, not only did you get yourself out of a life sentence, but you have helped other people get up under life, get up from under their life sentences, too. So it's like, man, like, you know. God has his hand on everything. And you know, I believe God works two people through people. So you will suffer, you will endure things, but if these things are going to educate you and they all serve their purpose. And not only were you able to get yourself out, but you were able to help other people to get out as well. I knew some legal beagles that was like, you know what, bro, I've accepted the reality that I'm never going to get out of prison, but I'm going to live the rest of my life in here helping everybody that I can get out of prison. You know what I mean?
0: You know, I used to tell guys, so, um, Anytime you go to federal prison, within the first 30 days, you'll have to do what's called A&O, which is admissions and orientation. So when I got to the one prison I was teaching all the classes, I was the only guy, that, other than staff, that would close out and talk to the guys. So basically you had, um, the, the warden would come, the deputy wardens, you know, the associate wardens, uh, the captain, all department had to tell you what they had, and then I was the closer, and I would come out and say, you know, I'm here to convince you to do something you should want to do anyways which is, um, you know, basically improve upon yourself. And the best way I can tell you this is to tell you about myself. You know, I'm 25 years into a life sentence. I've gotten my degree from Indiana State University. I've completed 300 other programs. I've, you know, created 12 classes in this. And I tell the guys, people ask me, like, why do you spend all day in education teaching people? And I say, well, really, let me tell you guys, I'm using you. I'm using every one of you because I need you to be successful. Because there are plenty of people that do not want to change the system. There are plenty of people. The prison industrial complex is wicked. It's making money hand over fist from the prison system. There was a protest recently in Michigan because the MDOC's numbers had had, had began to, shrunk, to shrink so that they were able to actually close a prison. Mm-hmm. And they, people were up in arms, so upset about it instead of celebrating the fact that we are now incarcerating less people and able to close these places of misery mm-hmm. there were people complaining that you were closing a prison can you imagine you're complaining that you're placing you're closing the worst place on earth mm-hmm. the most miserable place on earth mm-hmm. you're complaining about that um, so I tell people, I need you guys to get out and be successful so that other, uh, other individuals have the same opportunity as you, because mm-hmm. I just want to have one chance to be like you and go home to my family. Um, and so for me, educating people, helping people, um, when I came home, I helped an individual friend of mine. He was in the County jail with me. We fought our cases around the same time. He had, he had a six fifty life for law. He was still in the state, you know? Um, and I was very proud that I went and testified it. I wrote him some letter. I got him some political support. Um, I testified as a parole hearing and the governor, God bless her, uh, granted him parole on December 24th. She granted him uh, commutation uh, for his life sentence. And it was one of the greatest. And and the the, the irony of it is and how I know it was all in God's plan is. He called me the same day that um, somebody sent me the article that he got Mm -hmm. granted. He was on that list. And when he when he called me from the prison, you know how they call the JPay thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I took it and I was like, freedom, freedom, you know? Yeah. And he was like, hey, what's up, man? Just like that. I'm like, what? I'm like, freedom, man. That's what's up. He was like, what's up? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, did you hear something? Did I hear something? Yes, I heard something. What? I said, bro, they granted your commutation. <laughs> he said, What? I said, didn't somebody tell you? Nobody told me. What do you mean? Nobody told you nobody had even told him yet that the governor granted him commutation. Oh my goodness. That She had granted his clemency. I was like, what are you talking about? And to bring it all the way full circle, he was released on my birthday this year. Wow. He was released on my birthday. That so it was just crazy. a great celebration for me. He's a great guy. Uh, I helped him get a job. I talked to city of Detroit. They hired him for their program. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing great. Uh, just a wonderful story. Very proud of him. Um, and those are the things that make me proud. Uh, helping guys come home and succeed uh, helping individuals there's a big substance abuse issue in my community um i'm very proud of the work that my company does and i'm very proud of the work that access who is like a sister organization to us and i say sister because um we're very close and i have a family member that's very high up in access so um and they work on a lot of substance abuse they're opening a new crisis unit in dearborn Um, and when I left, you know, Arab kids didn't get high. They didn't do these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And now that's an issue in my community. So we have to focus on that. We have to focus on how we can protect these children from these terrible things that are happening to them. You know, social media ruined kids. You know, when me and you went to prison, when we committed crimes, we hid it from the feds. We, we checked for surveillance. We did all this stuff. (laughs) Kids don't commit crimes no more because they want to make money. They commit crimes for Instagram likes. They commit yeah. crimes for Instagram likes. That's and they tell on
1: themselves. They
0: literally post their own crimes. I'm like, what are you doing? The killings, robbing, shooting, fighting. You know, hey, look at me. They rob <laughs> gun stores, and then post the guns online like this. And the feds, what they do, they zoom in on the on the, uh, yes, on the you know the the, the little serial number. They're like, yeah. oh, there's the guns. You Let's make their job it. easy. So, you know, I, I you know I understand because I understand. The development of, of children's, you know, children, the 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 childhood mind, and how long it takes for uh, people to develop. I understand why they're doing it. It they, they just we know that the the that the adults, especially males, don't fully develop uh, until about twenty-four. So at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, they're just not developed. They're mm-hmm. just not developed. They're not thinking clearly. They're not understanding long-term consequences. They have a lack of impulse control, and they're 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 dealing with these different aspects. Um, I think it's important for me that we don't over-incarcerate kids. You know, don't make, you know, they, they always say don't make a Fed case out of something, you know, mm-hmm. when it's something serious. You and I both know that a Fed case can be anything. Um, anybody that's been in prison says they can always they can indict a ham sandwich if they wanted to. Um, that's literally the thing. The Feds wanted to, they can indict a ham sandwich. Um, so we always say don't make a federal case out of something. I think people need to focus on, um, you know, for kids spinning out the cars and stuff, don't go on, just want to throw the book at them. You mm-hmm. got to give people a chance. Don't I, I don't I don't like to see people just thrown into the justice system. You know, recently my family has a, a, a property and this young kid drove by. He didn't drive by. I'm sorry. He walked by and shot the window out with a BB gun. Just to see if he, if he literally said "I on the camera, you think it'll break? Shot it and ran. Um, We had it on camera and Dearborn police. God bless them. They're so amazing. They literally found the kid. They scoured the neighborhood till they found who this kid was. Mm. And they found him And they asked me What did you want to do I said well I work in juvenile You know Restorative justice Getting kids out of trouble mm-hmm. So I definitely Don't want to press charges mm-hmm. But I would like Talk to the parents Let them fix the window And um, But talk to the kid So it doesn't happen again Because it's important He knows that But I don't want to see him In the system Not for no Because they were like Oh we can charge him A felony I said definitely We're not charging no kid 14, 15 year old kid We've all done dumb shit Stuff as a kid
1: Yeah Absolutely you know? So
0: people need to stop Trying to All the time you know, play Mr. Hardass. And you always want to, oh, lock him up. Mm-hmm. Because if it was your kid, you would not say the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen people who put posts recently that have been very offensive to me because they're talking about lock this person up and throw away the key. Lock that person and throw up away. But as soon as somebody in their family has that same issue, I promise you, you're not going to say lock them up and throw away the key. Hell no, they'll be calling
1: you. Tell you yeah, yeah. Can and you, can you, do you to help, help me? me out?
0: Yeah, so that's very important for me, man. We need to understand that not everything... Needs to be involved in the justice system. Because once you get involved in the justice system, it is hard as ever to get uninvolved in the justice system.
1: So specifically in my community, I believe one of the big factors was when the feds started to indict all the gangs in southwest Detroit, from the cash flows to the counts, to the cobras, to everybody who got indicted. And they were taking people off the streets 20, 30 at a time. You know what I mean? And it kind of left the neighborhood without any structure. So the best way, you know, it took majority of the male figures, male leaderships out of the community, which left the women to raise their kids on their own. So the best way for them to protect their kids was just to shelter them, keep them away from the streets. And I feel like society did a disservice to our to our youth by doing that. And I'm not being insensitive to the measures that mothers had to go through to protect their family and protect their kids. But when I see youth today who don't have social skills, who do not have communication skills, who have anxiety when they're around people, like that is not um, the purpose in which God created humans. You know what I'm saying? Uh, God created us to be able to live amongst ourselves and to rule the earth you know what I mean? And, um, and so I believe that, you know, the Rico and the, and, and all them indictments, I believe they made a huge impact in the shift in, in, in society and in urban communities. Another thing that I believe in is that, uh, I believe that they need to start teaching life skills inside of school instead of, You know, talking about the history and social studies of things that happened a hundred years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's talk about what's going on today. And I tell people all the time, like, you know, even when I was in prison, I was watching all these new younger people coming into prison. And I mean, these guys didn't even have the decency to say, please, thank you or excuse me. You know what I'm saying? And then a lot of them were really like drug addicts, bro. Like they came to prison and got on psych meds. They couldn't, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't handle being in population. They couldn't handle being in prison. So they were just like part of the living dead you know and like you were talking about how they just turned prison into a dumping ground for the mentally ill you know and and that's something that really disrupted the prison system because you don't take all these incompetent people threw them in prison with wolves you know and now all of a sudden you got all these new policies you got cameras in every unit and every you know what i'm saying and it was like
0: um you know for everybody to have to adapt and adjust to that I think, um, from my perspective, and it's only been, I've only been here two, two and a half years out here in in society. Um, I came home to a different world, you know, social media, things I never experienced, iPhones, all these, you know, I I got an iPhone, I can send a text, I can take a picture, and I can make a phone call. Uh, You know, I can do a little Google search. Um, That's about it, I can't do all the rest of the stuff, so, um, but this is the deal. Social media hindered uh, a lot of children's social growth. Kids like to text more than they do talk. You
1: mm-hmm. know, I hate texting.
0: I literally hate texting. Like, when people text me three times in a row, I get upset. <laughs> like, I don't want to text back and call me, man. Yeah. I can talk. I know how to yeah. talk. Um, so, I don't like texting. So, I think that hindered it. Um, when it comes to the communities, listen, there's a terrible, terrible cycle that goes on. That I, that I, was, I was incarcerated long enough to see. And here, the cycle is this. You have guards who are passing down... Their job to their children Like the guards becoming Children The, you know, the, the, the children of the guards are becoming guards Themselves um, Most prisons are built in very rural areas Where there's no other economic opportunities And they get paid very well Very well um, To do this and so they pass it on to their Children And then unfortunately I have seen the, the Children of those incarcerated Taking their place in prison yeah, And that was a vicious cycle. Yeah, and it was always a, a certain, you know, there was always a, the majority of the time, a racial aspect to that mm-hmm. of who was doing what. And that was unfortunate. So I, I think for Southwest Detroit, of course, I'm unfamiliar with South, Southwest Detroit other than when I, when, I, when I was arrested, that's when they were arresting everybody from Southwest Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Southwest at one time was unfortunately a pretty bad area. You know, It was yeah. not a safe area to go through. It was not and safe. And they came through and they wanted to clean it up. And, you know, they, they probably gave out more time, but anybody who knows about the federal system knows that they will over incarcerate you. Mm -hmm. That's, that's their Mm -hmm. nature.
1: I mean, we, we, Um, we pretty much went from a residential jungle to a concrete jungle, bro. You know what I'm saying? It
0: just, it's, you know, so yeah, they locked up a lot of guys and it's unfortunate, but you know, the the mothers have been the backbone in many of minority communities, Mm -hmm. Um, African-American community. The mothers have always been the backbone. Absolutely. um, Because so many of the young men have been unfortunately incarcerated for a long time. Look, um there is just you know this 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 cycle of incarceration lack of training there's a lot of things that the mdoc could do better Mm -hmm. they could do better um with the right guidance i believe the right vision the right inspiration you know um but as long as you have people who are protesting closing prisons you're never going to have that because you returning to prison
1: is job security, it's job security, it's bro. job security. Listen, so, man. a lot of them officers, bro, they used to antagonize prisoners. And I mean, they used to do foul shit, lie, tear up your pictures, your letters. They'll, you know, pour lotion and shit on your bunk. And be, so because they want to get beat up. They want to get beat up so they can get paid for six months and get six-month vacation, you know, so they used to antagonize a lot of prisoners, you know what I mean? And And I feel like, you know, you know when you are when you wear a badge, you know what I'm saying, and you take an oath to something you know you are supposed to live according to a higher standard. you are supposed to be a person of integrity, no matter what I do I could be the biggest piece of shit in the world I could lie, I could slap you, I could spit on you, I could be the worst kind of person, but you you took an oath to this to serve to protect and um and and then when you take on the role of me because you want to meet me where I'm at, then what does that say about you? You are no better than me. And and I was in Traverse City. I was at a Pugsley Correctional Facility. That was one of the first uh, facilities that they had shut down when they were uh, shutting everything down. And that's and that's when I seen the most distress and the most complaints was it was coming from most of the people, uh, prisons that were getting shut down in the UP, because that's the only source of work that they have up there. And when I was working at the, I mean, when I was uh, in them prisons up there, I mean, bro, from the counselors to the a to the uh, to the deputy warden to the officers. I mean, they were cousins, brothers, aunts, uncles generate the whole family. So it was yeah. like you could not get no justice. If you write a complaint or if you write a um a grievance, it's going to your counselors or your unit officer's wife or husband
0: or cousin, and it was like, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna tell you, um, I don't want to. There's bad apples in every group. Mm-hmm. You understand me? Um, just like there's bad correction officers, there's good, good corrections. Mm-hmm. You understand me? Um, I, I like to give credit to the supervisor of education. In, in greenville noise uh his name was Joel pickett uh mr pickett um was an amazing guy man and uh he he's part of the reason i'm home because he's one of the individuals that pushed me to hey you need to teach classes you've educated yourself tremendously but now you need to give back you know and he mm-hmm. kind of inspired me to do that and that led me to this road that i'm on today and that continues mm-hmm. um and mr pickett was beloved mm-hmm. beloved and let me tell you how much he was beloved there's a sort team in the, in the federal system. They call the Special Operations Rescue Team. They're supposed to be like the hostage rescue, or if you if, a, if somebody takes over a unit, the guard, the inmates. You know, we can take a prison over anytime we want. They we outnumber them one hundred to one anytime, but we don't do that. But if God forbid that did happen, these are the people, the specialty trained, that were going to get the, get the, get that unit back or do whatever they had to do. And I remember one of the, one of the, one of the guys that was on the sort team, he worked in rec and I hung out with rec a lot and he was a good dude. And we used to laugh all the time and stuff. And he said, man, I've told my team that if something ever happens to me and I get taken hostage on the yard, don't come get me. Cause you, you guys might shoot me on mistake. I want you to call Mr. Pickett. I don't care if he's retired, call him and tell him cause he can walk in the middle of the yard in a full riot. And said, "Give me him," and they would give me. They would turn me over to Mister Pickett mm-hmm. because he was respected. But why was he respected? Because Mister Pickett would do anything to help a guy. Mm-hmm. Stuff that had nothing. He's ahead of education. You could go to him and say, "I got a detainer down here in Alabama," mm-hmm. and Mister. And you know, if you had a detainer, you can't go to the halfway house in the federal system. Okay. You can't go to the halfway house. Okay. Just if even if it's a traffic ticket, they mm-hmm. won't let you go. So um, he would call. You know, he'd pick up the phone. How y'all doing? My name's Joel Pickett. I'm from here, the Federal Correctional Institute down here in Terre Haute, uh, in Greenville, Illinois. Yeah, I got this amazing young man here in front of me, and uh, I'm trying to send him to this program. But you guys got this little old traffic ticket and blah blah blah, and he'd be like, "Oh, yeah, yeah. What? Well, I just need you to drop it. You drop, you can fax it right here to my office, and he'd give him his fax number. They'd fax it to him. He'd walk it down to R and D and say." Here, man. And that's
1: power. That's power. Just by being a good human. Just by, by
0: being a good human. Yeah. And, 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 you know, sometimes the staff would tell him, man, pick it. This isn't your job. And he'd say, well, somebody got to do it. Yeah. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. You know, Um, and he was amazing. And 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 I've always had the highest regard for that man. And he, you could ask anybody in the system about that guy. But and, you know what? I, and not what one person will say a bad thing.
1: Man. What I didn't like is when bad officers would influence good officers because, like I've had a bad officer and a good officer come in, shake my place down. Of course, the good officer is not going to go against the bad officer because they have their code of ethics. And if the good officer does speak up, they blackball him, so like their rules of ethics are no different from a street gang, no. you know. So let, let, me turn, and, and, let me and they used to blackball let, them good let, officers. Let me turn it on, and you. I'm like, well, well where's the integrity on. at? Here's though, integrity. Let me know? Let me
0: let me turn it on you. Let me play devil's advocate. Come on with it. Okay, I'm gonna play devil's advocate. You you was a, the leader of a gang. Yeah. Okay. So when you was inside, if one of your guys did something wrong or got was doing something wrong and got into it, mm-hmm. did you let him get beat up?
1: Absolutely not.
0: You would beat up even if he was wrong. I would beat him up. No, no, I'm saying, but we if would if, beat him but, up. but if it happened, if it jumped off, you would jump in and help him. Yeah, you would defend him. Mm-hmm. You might whoop him later, like you just said. You might mm-hmm. give him a violation later. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, you standing with him.
1: Yeah, no matter absolutely. what, you
0: understand me? Yeah, you're gonna stand with him. I say all the time, mm-hmm. look, man, if you're my friend, I'm gonna stand with you. I'm gonna whoop your ass later. But right now, you're gonna. I'm gonna go with you. We're gonna ride with you. But yeah. later on, you might, you know, catch it. Mm-hmm. Um so it's no different for them um well, yeah, I think I, it's hard think, for them. I
1: think my leadership was a little bit different because I didn't have like no tolerance for thievery you know oh, what yeah. I'm saying and stuff like that so I will not support you you know what I'm saying yeah, so. and and that's what separated me from the rest because I understand the whole concept you know ride with your brothers right or wrong but I still have my own personal moral standards and I got to be able to look myself in the mirror every day and at the end of the day I still got to be a firm representative of myself and who I am and what I represent because prison is a small world and you might do some Mickey Mouse out shit because we 50 deep on this yard but once they transfer you out and, and they now they 50 deep on the other yard yeah. that's your ass that's your reputation That you can ruin your you can build a reputation that's solid and ruin it the very next day you know what I'm saying yeah, I, I think I
0: mean in the Fed system even though it's 160 prisons it's very small mm-hmm. even though it's 160 prisons that spans the entire United States it's very small and why do I say that you cannot hide from a bad name you could be in USP Terre Haute where we were do something bad, get shipped all the way to California. Right. You might make it a month. You might make it two months, but at the third month, somebody's going to hit that yard and say, Hey, dude did a, B and C. Absolutely. Um, thievery and stuff. If you were from the, the, you know, the, the Detroit, we have a very, we're highly respected in the system because we're very honorable people. Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't allowed to steal where we were from. They would put your hand in the door and break it. If they caught you stealing, they were not doing that. And that's the worst thing on earth to take from people already suffering. Yeah. Um, You know, um, you know, but again, listen, prison has a different, it's a whole different subculture. And I never like to discuss it and do stuff because I don't mm. want to ever glorify it. Mm. The best thing I can tell you about prison is do not ever go to it. You mm. will not survive. It's not pretty. Mm. It's not nice. It's, it is nothing. Um, it's not like the movies. There's no club fed. Look, man, I'm not a big guy. You know, mm. um, I could touch both walls in that cell I was in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was your bedroom. That was your bathroom. Mm-hmm. That was your living room and your dining room. <laughs> and there was two guys in there.
1: Ain't no doubt. about Okay. It. And
0: I could touch both walls. Me and Marty's being this little cell, you know, um, <laughs>
1: excuse me, excuse me is a very powerful it's, word. It's, it's, you're going to say it a hundred times a day. I'm excuse telling me, you, excuse so me, excuse me.
0: Don't get fooled into thinking that you're going to play golf or swim in some pool. Mm. Cause somehow I missed that prison. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it was, but I missed it. It's just in our hood. Like when I was
1: growing up, bro, like it was a badge of honor to go to prison. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what certified you. Yeah. If you shot somebody, killed somebody, you were certified. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so even even in death, even if you were to kill, like, I was willing to die because I knew that my people would carry on my legacy. I was willing to kill you because that's what gave respect. Yeah. I was willing to go, to go to prison, you know what I'm saying? Because I felt like that was the honorable thing to do, you know? and the, And you could not tell
0: me no different. Yeah. I think there's just that misconception, man. Um, you know what's honorable? The work you're doing now. Yes. That's what's honorable. Yes. The work that we do now. That's what's honorable. Um, changing the lives. Um, I believe in the Frederick Douglass theory of it is easier to build strong children than fix broken men. Yeah. You understand me? Mm-hmm. So I need to make sure that no child takes the same road I took. I don't need to drive down. It's mm-hmm. not. Pre- I, you don't need to take the trip I took. You might not make it. Mm-hmm. Everybody does not come home. I have a lot of friends, unfortunately, mm-hmm. who have done time like myself, especially extensive time. Twenty-seven and a half years is not a joke. Um, and That's not a come lifetime. Out, People don't they, even live that long. They have not. They have not done that well coming out. You know, they've not adjusted as well. Uh, one of my good friends recently got out. Um, he got out a little bit before me. You know, honestly, he fooled me, but I thought he was doing great, everything. He ended up catching a huge case. He's probably going to get another twenty-five years, if not life. Again, and he already had life once and beat it um that's a heartbreak for me. I hate to see people go back to prison. I hate to see people fail. A good friend of mine, a great friend of mine died man because and I believe he died because um he just could not get over the fact he left the streets as a millionaire you know he was the man mm-hmm. He left as a millionaire, you know I mean? Went to the club, throwing money, driving fancy cars. Probably owned the club. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he came back home making, you know, $20, $15, $20 an hour. That was not an easy adjustment for him after almost 30 years away. No. It was a hard adjustment. Um, listen, ego. It's ego, bro. It's ego. But, you know, it's also, it's, it's, it's just, you got to understand it. It's, it's it's a work in progress. You know, so we try to work with people. At my company, we try to work through these Different, you know, little obstacles you're going to face and these barriers you're going to run into. And we you, need to remove. You know one. what my biggest
1: barrier was now that I think
0: about it? Tell me.
1: This shit right here. <laughs> Technology, phone, phone. And it's still challenging for me, even though I'm doing way better than I was. So when I got out, I just wanted to make all the right decisions. I wanted to put myself in the best position to be successful. So I signed up for college, you know? Like you, I was in prison, I was very studious, I loved to read, I loved to do research, I take notes, all that type of stuff. So I assumed that I was gonna come home and apply my studious skills and be successful. I was wrong, everything is on a laptop, everything is research, everything is homework, every subject you got, you have to do I was like I was so overwhelmed like I was proud of myself because I I, I um, you know I, I took advantage of an opportunity I I, I challenged myself uh-huh. you know but it was because of that barrier of technology that discouraged me from wanting to continue in college. I did that one semester and I was just done with it because I couldn't keep up even when I first got out people were like hey I text you I uh, called you and I'm I don't know what's for because I don't know how to answer this shit I damn near threw the thing on the floor I'm slapping it up um, down swipe. So I said, "Oh man!" So
0: you know, listen. I, I'm first off. I'm sorry that you you hit that frustration. I wish you would have got past it and finished and got your degree. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the thing I learned about college. This is what I learned about college. It's not easy. There's a reason why people who go to college are very successful because it's not easy. It's not when I was in school in prison. You think, wow, he got more time on his hands. But let me tell you something. The professors, they came from Indiana State University into the prison. It was a basically an off-campus classroom. So you had to apply to Indiana State mm-hmm. to take these classes. They thought the same thing that you thought. Like, oh, we got all this time. So they would give us extra homework. Like, oh, you got free time on your hands. Well, everybody in prison has jobs and other things, mm-hmm. and and literally this one professor I remember her telling me like she'd give us so much stuff, and I remember her name was Doctor Reynolds, and I was like Doctor Reynolds, like when can I read my newspaper? And she's like, uh, in four years you can read your paper. Right now you're gonna do your assignment. You got this research <laughs> paper. Do this. You can read a newspaper in four years. You can read a book in four years, other than you know the classroom the class books. I was like, wow. But let me tell you something. If you if you when when I read the research behind the the you know, reduction in in recidivism because you got your education. I realized why, why that was true. It was true for two reasons. Of course, number one is, if you get a degree, you're more employable. When you get out, you're more employable. If there's two people and they put a a resume in, one's got a degree, one doesn't, you're likely to hire the guy with the resume, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the second part. It changes you as a person. You become more accomplished. You get some self-confidence. You know, I watch guys transition from being like kind of slumps and a little lazy, this, mm-hmm. to very proud students. Mm-hmm. Very proud. I remember after the first semester, you know, I, I graduated 4.0. Wow. And I remember after the first semester, when they give out the dean's list, you get this like paper. The other guys that didn't get it, they, were, they challenged themselves. They were like, man, next semester, I'm going to get on the dean's list too. It ain't going to just be you. Mm-hmm. They challenged themselves. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that changed them as a person. Because it validated them and made them feel human again. And that's what's important. Yes. You need to validate people and let them know, listen, mm-hmm. this incarceration does not define your future. It mm-hmm. is not your future. You define, this is the past. So leave it there and move ahead positively. So for yourself, you know, the obstacles with these phones and all that, if my phone, if something happens with my phone, I just give it to my nephew or my niece, they'll fix it. <laughs> you know, hey, hey see yeah. what's up with this thing. Yeah. Um but I don't let that frustrate me because I know how to send an email
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I, I can attach files. Yeah, to everyone, you know, yeah. I can do the, I can do the, the basic things that need to be yeah, done. That's what I'm saying. Again, I can survive. I can survive Look, now. Um, you know, w- but we, we teach ourselves mm-hmm. and we grow. Um, I and, was, and it's really not an excuse, but
1: even though I'm not, you know, educated, I have experience and my experience for me has spoke volumes. I mean, I sit amongst people with master's degrees who are educated, who dedicated many years to their lives. You know what I'm saying? And still, my experience um, is not it, it, you know, cannot be compared, you know, to the books that they've read and studied and, you know, things like that. So I, I feel pretty good about about having real life experience. Let, and, and I know it can be a barrier to my success as far as, you know, pay and all that type of stuff. But I something. think
0: the results, look, you know, I'm still at the table, look, you let know me, Let I me mean? tell you something. Uh, you know, I, I believe, honestly, you're not giving yourself enough credit. And let me tell you why. You and I have been to a lot of schools to talk to the kids, okay? Um, we've each given testimony to them kids on why they shouldn't do what we did Shout out to Dawson Elementary I've watched your testimony I've watched the faces of those children When they hear you talk You know the power And the word that you express about your personal story When you share the most Intimate You know failures you've had with them kids I've watched them I sit back and watch them We always watch each other And the effect you've had on them is tremendous You have definitely touched the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of kids through your testimony. And that is something that no school can teach. No book can help. And I don't care if you got a master's or a doctorate degree. They cannot do what you do for them kids. Because those kids, when they see you, they see themselves. They see a future. And when you tell them, man, I was just a little bit older than you when I went away. I was just like you. I was doing this. I was doing that. They understand the power and your sincerity. You know, when I tell them, man, when they call me for these things, I cancel. I can have a meeting with the CEO of my company. If they call me and say, hey, we're going to this school tomorrow, I'll call the CEO and be like, hey, we're going to have to reschedule. Mm -hmm. Nobody takes precedent over them kids. Nobody. Because they are the future. They are what what is important. Mm -hmm. And we need to protect them at all costs. We need to ensure that even when they fail, we don't give up on them. Mm -hmm. We help pick them back up, raise them. And try to help them. People need to stop trying to throw all these kids into the system for minor, stupid stuff. There should be no child in the juvenile justice system unless he's done a horrendous crime. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. There should be no 12, 13 year old in, 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 in a juvenile center unless they have done mm-hmm. a horrendous crime, because mm-hmm. those children's minds are nowhere near as developed. Nowhere. Oh, for real, I went through and, the juvenile and, yeah, system, very, very, and it made me worse. It definitely it it made Prison. Listen. The juvenile system is gladiator school. Mm-hmm. Terrible things happen in them places. Yeah, I, I
1: think it's worse than prison um, sometimes. So because there's there's no the, order,
0: because it, you're dealing with a bunch of you know kids who have who lack emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and they act off of impulse mm-hmm. and it's just a bad situation. You know, a lot of them have uh, a bad family history. They've had a lack of resources. Um, I'm very proud to say my company has partnered with the state and the feds to create a juvenile restorative justice program that I'm so proud of. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Warren Evans, who who took the, the vision to say, I am going to create a partnership with a community resource in order to ensure that these children have a second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best CEO in the country when it comes on the county level. Uh, so a big shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just, you know, Warren has always been willing to try something new. Mm-hmm. And so for us, for my company, that program, to me, I believe is going to be a culture change nationally. Mm -hmm. Nationally. Not locally. Nationally when Mm -hmm. it comes to juvenile justice. Because we need to stop trying to find a way to keep these kids in the juvenile jail and rather find a way to get them out, get them into mental health, physical health, tutoring, mentoring. They need the full aspect of They need love.
1: They need nurturing, bro. Yes. They need people like us who are genuine, who are authentic, who who care. They need humanitarians, you know what I'm saying? People who truly love you know, love to love, you know what I mean? And, um, I think that that makes the biggest difference because honestly, when I became a part of ceasefire and, um, and they were like, we're going to be going to schools around Detroit, you know, East side, West side, um, everywhere. And I was a little concerned because I was like, man, I hope I'll be able to make a connection. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't sure if my story, you know, was going to be able to be effective and make an impact in different communities. And, um, I tell you what bro I I have um I have definitely thrived when it had come to building with them youth out there. Like, I get their undivided attention. I mean, they come, they ask me questions, they give me hugs. You know what I'm saying? And I love that, bro. And and I say, you know, love does not discriminate, bro. When you are real, when you are authentic, and you come from a good place, and you come from the heart, it does not discriminate, bro. You can reach beyond, you know what I'm saying, beyond the stars. You know what I'm saying? When it comes to love, bro. Yeah.
0: So, So for me... You know, uh, you always see me. I'm always in the suit. You know, uh, you sharp. Put, you put my picture on your podcast thing with in a suit. I'm always in the suit. Today I took my suit off because I said I'm going to chill. Casual, you like business casual um, right now. But I always say my suit is my cloak. You know, mm-hmm. and why is it my cloak? Because when when the children see me, they think, oh, there's some director from some mental health company, this nerdy guy. When I come with these rappers who got long dreads, you know, they've done a couple years or something. They think that's the gangster you know them so i always let them think that until i say listen that dude still got mcdonald's on his breath (laughs) two years what are you talking about that's nothing don't let this don't let the suit fool you man. Mm -hmm. you know so my suit allows me into conversations with people who believe oh he must just be a director for this tremendous mental health organization but it's not until they hear the other side that they realize wow there's a bigger picture you know um my CEO uh, Tony Policella, who's amazing Tony um, you know big shout out to him you know when I first came home he came in you know he heard about the the programs I had done inside and came straight to me and was like hey please come be a director for my company because I've had I've hired all these master level therapists and 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 they can't do what you're gonna be able to do when it mm-hmm. comes to reentry and you know the returning citizens justice involved mm-hmm. you're going to see it from a vision that no one's ever touched because you're not just educated but your life experience and that's what i love um and so for my company we always love lived experience mm-hmm. because you can't teach lived experience nope. some of my most successful therapists some of my most successful therapists have at, themselves at one time had addictions mm-hmm. and overcame them They understand people on a level that no regular therapist ever will. Mm -hmm. I don't care if they got a doctorate degree. They're never going to understand the things that that individual understands because they were them. Mm -hmm. You know, me and you, we can connect on a level with people because we were them. I saw absolutely. You You know, um, so that's important for us that we hire that. And of course, we always hire returning citizens because we just think everybody deserves a second chance. Mm Um, so that team
1: wellness facility bro is pretty dope the one you gave us a tour on, man you So that's our
0: 24 hour crisis unit yeah. um, and, and I love the
1: mobile the mobile uh, uh, yeah unit yeah we're going to bring that down to your center for sure. Yeah. Um, our mobile
0: clinic is going to be um, you know uh, just it, it's a tremendous asset for the community. Uh, I was part of a study that said, you know you, the, the provider needs to go to the to the community, mm-hmm. not because sometimes people have a hard time getting to you mm-hmm. you know um, so it was important for us to reach back out into the community. To reach back into the community and be able to go there, we'll be going to some new children's centers coming up soon to do some dental work over there for the kids. Get back to school events. That's dope. Man. Um, that's important. We got the best dentist other than my brother. God and bless. And that's him. good because that's something um, that
1: we never had, bro. Like in urban communities, like we didn't have good eye eye care and dental care, and you know everybody I know, had, nobody could afford braces yeah. or any of that stuff, bro. Yeah.
0: I, I, so the beauty here, here's the beauty of my company. We take every insurance, Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Every insurance. If you have Medicaid, come get all your mental health and substance abuse treatment for free. Yes. Come get it for free. Yeah. Don't don't be fooled and pay people a ton of money. For, they're not gonna give you no help. And I love come that, get that we it work free. together now. Yeah, we listen. Re, you um, know, we refer people. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah, just yeah. dope, bro. Listen, I love it's always what we're doing. a pleasure to connect with other organizations. Mm-hmm. I, I always tell people when they ask me, who is you know your competition, and I always tell them, there's no competition in mental health. Mm-hmm. And they said, "What do you mean? You're that good?" I said, "No, I, I'm, I'm not trying to brag. What I'm telling you is, no matter how many people there is, you know how many organizations are providing help, it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. It's still not enough. There's so much need out there. Me and you, your organization, us—we're not in competition. You, we, there's so much need. We could all of us together. Yeah, we we still can't fulfill it. Yeah. We need well, more. I need more therapists. If you're a therapist, you're out there listening. Please send me your resume. We're hiring. We need more therapists daily." Mm-hmm. Children's therapists. Um, you know, COVID really hurt these children's. Uh, you yeah. know, the, 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 the way that they developed their social skills mm-hmm. was tremendously affected. A lot of kids, you know, school was their, that was the place where they could be their most. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden they're stuck at home, you know, in, in, uh, with their parents. Mm-hmm. This uh, hurt them a lot. Yeah. I think people sure. are underestimating. They're going to one day, was under a lot they're going to distress. one day do a study on the mental effect, the okay. educational development of children during COVID and, and realize just how terrible still these lockdowns balls, were.
1: There are people who have breathing issues still like, uh, I know people who like have lost memory because oh, of COVID. Uh, you're talking like, about you know, the
0: COVID brain and stuff. Yeah. But I'm just talking, I'm not even yeah. talking about the sickness part. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the lack of opportunities to be in school. Like, mm-hmm. Some people missed the whole, a whole yeah. school year. Yeah. Some people missed their graduation. They never had prom. Uh, mm-hmm. Some kids, you know, They've missed yeah. so much different things. They, they learn mm-hmm. different at home than mm-hmm. they do at school, their social skills. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not even talk about the sickness. You know, that's a whole different yeah. conversation. Yeah, at all, no you doubt. Know. <laughs> no doubt. So tell me, Danny, what's the future look like for you, man? Um, the future for me is, listen, I, I, I want to continue on this path of reforming the criminal justice system, uh, making it more fair and efficient and effective. Uh, I want to increase, hopefully for individuals, uh, the opportunities that success upon release. Uh, that's important for me. I want to help my community um, overcome the unfortunate situations that it has in all the communities, not just anything. you know young kids nowadays are affected you know terribly by these terrible drugs. Um, people are putting terrible things, they're dying left and right. you know I, I drive around with uh, Narcan in my car. yeah you know me Narcan too. me too um, and, and and sometimes young kids talk and I hear them talking, I'll give them narcan here mm-hmm. um, you know these, yeah you, you might need this one day. Yeah, um, because, you know, I just I, I think the most disturbing thing for me was since I've been home, I've probably been to more funerals than I would care to, to recall. I can agree. Um, I don't like to go to the cemetery too often. It's not my place. Mm-hmm. But I did go to the cemetery. One of my very, 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 very young cousins, literally infant, was born with some birth defects and, 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 and passed away. And um, I went to the cemetery for her burial. And it was the first time I had been to this Islamic cemetery. It's a new one. And um, I remember walking back and I was stunned. That's the first time I realized how dire the situation was. At all the young people that were buried there. You know, they had their pictures like, you know, 18, 19 years old. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what is going on? And I started looking around. And it was just, it was stunning to me. Mm-hmm. You know, the only time. I went to the cemetery before was when older people had died or somebody had like a, you know, a, a serious illness, but all these young, healthy, beautiful children that were buried there. And I just imagine the pain of their parents having oh, to absolutely. bury their 18-year-old son or daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, just heartbreaking, devastating. Absolutely. And that's when I really realized that I had come home to a different Dearborn. Mm-hmm. I had come home to a different Detroit. I had come home to a different Michigan. You know, I never did any time in Michigan. All my time in the Fed system was out of state. I was always down South. So if I sound a little country to you, forgive me. I was down South for a long time. Um, but that's literally, so I want to hopefully, you know, we can keep doing the path. Our partnership continues to grow. We keep making a great effort to help this community. I love the Hispanic community. Southwest Detroit is the best food ever. Um, I love going down there. And so, you know, Hey, I'm looking forward to the next summer slam with, Eladio, and um that hibachi Eladio. truck hit right on. Yeah, Shout no out doubt, to the hibachi man. truck, that shrimp was off the chain.
1: Yeah, John Ortiz, what up though, man? I hey, I still got that rain check on that meal, man. I'm ready for mine. But listen, Danny, man, thank you for coming through, man. Thank you for breaking bread. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I loved it. I mean, we could probably sit here for a whole nother hour if we wanted to, brother. But I'll tell you what, man, it was an honor to have you here. Thank you for blessing the studio. Um, I look forward, uh, you know, to working with you in the future and all the good work and the impact that we're going to make on uh, not just our communities, but the communities all around. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, big shout out to uh, uh, to Edward Martell uh, hashtag Mr. Not Guilty uh, big shout out to my brother Zoe at LA Landscaping and big shout out to Danny Reyna uh, appreciate your sponsorship and uh, DR Concrete um, thank you very much I appreciate you guys uh, next, next Monday we will not be having a podcast because it's mine and my wife's anniversary so I'm going to take some time to spend some time with her you know I'm always very busy working and doing projects and things like that so I wanted to secure some time to spend with my wife and celebrate you know our second year anniversary but you know everybody be safe out there and uh, when we come back the following week we'll have um, another guest with a good story to tell and uh, another lesson to be learned so I'll see you guys, much love, thank you
0: happy wife, happy life yeah, yeah, yeah
1: uh, go to YouTube, El Nino Podcast hit that subscribe button and it got me upset living in that American dream This has
0: been an episode of Real Everyday People, part of the El Nino Podcast. Check out the El Nino Podcast live on Facebook every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. And for full episodes, the El Nino Podcast is available on Facebook and YouTube.